Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many ways to live life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, even you. Not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, now maybe you can see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow They have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. Welcome to How She Really Does It, a place where inspiration and possibility meet. From corporate America and a Fortune 200 company to creating a living with what she loves, Valerie Young is here to discuss her journey from a high-stress job that paid the bills but did not feed her spirit to making a living without a corporate America J-O-B. You may recall Valerie here before when we discussed the imposter syndrome in her book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. Valerie and I are going to talk about what was the catalyst for her change and also the different stages she faced it as an entrepreneur. Valerie, hello and welcome back. Hi, I'm thrilled to be here. Great. So first off, can you just explain to our listeners or share with our listeners um, your background prior to making your living doing what you love? Well, actually, I, I couldn't have started out that way in a lot of ways. I was in uh, graduate school, and while I was in graduate school, and and really just right after graduate school, I started a speaking business where I would go all over the country and speak on the imposter syndrome and also on the topic of, um, now we would call it diversity. We didn't didn't call it back, back then, but that's essentially what I was speaking on. So I was really used to kind of doing my own thing, and then I got a job job and it was my first you know real job with a commute and a cubicle and, and the whole the whole bit and I, I was 30 and that was just this rude awakening <laughs> to me to suddenly have to get up every day to an alarm clock and be at the same place every day and, and I I cried every day mm-hmm. for the first two weeks I mean it was really good money which is why it was you know so difficult to, to turn down and I knew it would be great experience so I really took the job with the intention of going there for a year, year and a half, two years tops, kind of demystifying the corporate world, getting my corporate credentials so when I went out speaking, I could get more corporate speaking gigs and then get out. But there I was seven years later. (laughs) So you you get kind of trapped. And so why did you stay for so long? Why did your plan alter? 
Well, it was a few things. One, um, it was the money. You know, mm-hmm. that was part of it. You suddenly, you know, have a car payment, and then I bought a house and all that good stuff. So that was a part of it because they, you know, they kept giving me nice uh, increases every year. But also, I switched after two years. I was in corporate training and development, and I switched over to marketing in one of the divisions because I like the, the creative side of marketing. So at that point, I was still learning things and, you know, generally enjoying it. But then after a while, it really did become about I didn't know what else I wanted to be when I grew up. And, you know, and then there was the money thing. You become a little bit little bit tied, tied to it. You're trapped. So do you feel like I was thinking about this last night? Do you feel like as you progressed up this corporate ladder, right, and you got more of these um, pay raises and then these ni- this nicer lifestyle of living, did you feel more trapped then than maybe prior to entering the corporate world? Oh, yeah, definitely, because I never really felt trapped before that, mm-hmm. you know, because it was really just between me and me, you know, mm-hmm. how much money I made came down to my own effort and um, and initiative. I think that's really great insight for our listeners, right? Because sometimes we strive because we think we want X, we want a certain thing, not realizing that when we get those things, there can be a, a, a feeling of entrapment, right? Where it can maybe alter some of our plans. Like with you, you had a plan to go for a year or two to get some experience, maybe network mm-hmm. some. And then you started, you know, it started becoming almost the prison that you would create, you created for yourself. Tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, and keep in mind, I was also commuting 90 miles a day. Wow. So that was, it was an hour each way. So thank God for public radio, because I'm a, I'm a news junkie. So I, you know, I catch my news on the way down and on the way back. But, but still, you know, it was a, a big chunk out of my life. It was, um, what, 10 hours a week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you were, when you were there and say maybe like year five or six, right? Did you think that, did you sometimes just kind of say, well, you know what, I could go and do this on my own, but Maybe this is as good as it gets. I've got this nice job. I've got this, you know, this steady income that comes in. I would assume benefits, right? There's a package that comes with that. Did you ever mm-hmm. sometimes just want to kind of say, well, this, this is just as good as it gets. And yeah, I, I hunger for more, but this is okay. You know, I'm sure on some level I did, although I also just didn't imagine myself there for the rest of my life. I think really where I got hung up was I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Mm. You know, so it's not like I said, oh, I'd like to open my own marketing company and and do the same thing, but for myself. But, you know, that really didn't interest me. So I still hadn't quite figured out what it was that I wanted to do. And I think if I had, if I had a goal, it would have felt much different. I think, you know, ideas can be tremendously motivating. Mm -hmm. And unless you have an idea and a direction, then where are you going to (laughs) go? So at that point, honestly, I was not even thinking about self-employment. I was just thinking about getting another job closer to home. That was that was the game plan. And even that was not on my horizon until, you know, until my, my personal wake-up call, and that's kind of changed everything. And so what was your catalyst for change, for leaving? Uh, my mom passed away of a heart attack. She was 61. It was mm-hmm. totally unexpected. Just, you know, got a phone call, and she was gone. She wasn't ill before that. And actually, just for your for your listeners' um, uh, information, a lot of people don't realize that heart attack is the leading cause of death in women. And there's you know, a tremendous amount of focus around cancer, as there should be, but there's very, very little attention given to uh, 
to heart disease in women because we have different symptoms and so on. So that was just, you know, I was not even 40 yet. I was still in my 30s. I lost my mom. And whenever you have, um, you know, as I call it, a wake-up call, it could be your illness, someone around you, uh, a death, or, you know, some major event. I I know 9-11, for example, for a lot of people in the New York area and elsewhere, they radically changed their life after Mm -hmm. that event because anything that forces you to step back and really take pause and go, okay, what am I doing? Where do I want to be? What do I want to do? Um, you know, is, is probably going to be, be a catalyst, and that was mine. So your mom passes away real close to retirement, what, five months? And, yeah, she's, um, exactly, five months away from retirement. It was all about the retirement. Her entire, there, there he bought the house in Florida. They had, you know, she had boxes packed. They'd sold their house. I mean, they were, they were going. They were starting their new life and tremendously excited about that. And so was the message you got from your mother, um, was the message that, okay, you, you know, you go along and you do this, right. And maybe sometimes it's not exactly what you want, but there'll be an endpoint retirement where then you can go live the life that you want to live. Was that the message that you got? Yeah, I think I, uh, I got it. You get it from everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the message is, you know, kind of life sucks and then you die, but <laughs> you know, like you, you, you kind of, you know, you keep your job and you, you know, jobs aren't about being happy necessarily. They're about, you know, working and sacrifice. I mean, she had five kids. She actually took the job later in life because my dad didn't have any kind of pension. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to get the retirement plan uh, working through the state. She was a second shift custodian at the university of Massachusetts. So, yeah, I think generally speaking, especially back then, the, the focus really was on, you know, suck it up, you know, get a job, and then you can be happy when you retire. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that focus has shifted now? In society? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, certainly the economy changed the rules um, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you were expecting a certain kind of retirement and aren't going to get a certain kind of retirement or are going to be working further into retirement. I think younger people aren't, you know, as loyal, at, nor, nor are organizations as loyal. I mean, that mm-hmm. whole game, you know, ha- changed a while ago and continues to change where people can't expect to work for one employer their entire adult life and then get that, that nice um you know, pension at the end. Hardly anybody even gives pensions anymore. Mm-hmm. I had three family members, uh, siblings, and a brother-in-law who all, this past year, in their late 50s, all got laid off by companies they'd worked for for, you know, 25 and 30 years. So the game has changed. The game definitely has changed. And so when you're, okay, let's go back to your mom and the catalyst. So you're in this job and the plant, you're here much longer than the plan was ever supposed to be your mom passes away right you kind of gives mm-hmm. you a light bulb moment and then what did you decide well you know i have to tell you even before that there was a, a seminar going on through like an adult learning center in hartford connecticut and barbara winter was doing it and it was called making a living without a job and i said to my my um, direct report i had two people report to me this is the kind of boss i was hey rose you want to go to this workshop so she and i both went because we both would love to make a living without a job um you know and, and learned a lot but i didn't really take action then so this was had been in the back of my mind obviously for a while it's just that you know once my mom died that really changed things so what i did was i i started looking for another um you know i call it a job job right mm-hmm. a job so I found a job as the head of marketing closer to 
home. It was a much shorter commute and a much smaller organization. I was in a very big um, corporation. So I was really um, excited about that because I could get excited about what I was marketing and, you know, small organization. However, I got there, and within two months, I realized, um, you know, I just made a really bad <laughs> mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, just, it was just bit, that culturally it was very different, and, you know, for a lot of reasons I won't go into, you know, I just realized that it was, it was a challenging environment. Um, and, and I will tell you, I had a boss at the time who, you know, would get, had an anger issue, you know, pounding his fist, yelling a lot, and I just, it was nothing like I was used to. Yeah, in the corporate world. And mm-hmm. I just said, I got to get out of here. That's when I really knew. So I, I refer to that as kind of changing deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, it's kind of a <laughs> career wise, uh-huh. you know, but, but, you know, it, it's good that it happened because when I got there, I realized I didn't need a new job. I needed a new life. And it was making that move that made me realize that I wanted to work from home and I wanted to work for myself, and then it was just a matter of figuring out, figuring out doing what, and how could I, you know, replace my my income. So it sounds like that there were it was a stepping stone, right? You say t- changing deck chairs on the Titanic, mm-hmm. and it was it was a transitional piece to where you are now. So right, not intentionally, but, yeah. but but help helpful nonetheless. And it was a great way to test out. Like you thought, okay, here I'm in this big environment, you know, and doing this with a long commute, and wouldn't it be great to be closer to home and in a smaller organization? Mm-hmm. And you tested it out, and. It, and then you realize that that wasn't it for you. Now, did you, Valerie, feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm a failure or I made a really big mistake. I shouldn't have left that big job that I had? No, I didn't feel that way. I just it, it made me determined to, you know, i got to figure this out because mm-hmm. <laughs> i got to get out of here. <laughs> and, and, and how did you have that more of a growth mindset where you looked at it as, okay, let's look forward instead of backwards how did you do that because some people really struggle with oh no i had as good as it could get and then i left that right and they go into a scarcity mode so how did you not go into a scarcity mode well it, it could be that i mean very concretely they did not want me to leave. i mean actually I, sh- I should back up and i what i did in my in my former job was i um i was hoping to be able to work at home even one day a week that that would have made a tremendous difference in my, you know, mental health and and so on, to just be able to work home one day a week. So first, I asked all the people in my department who I was very close to. It was a great group of people, how they would feel about it, and they all said, "Oh, that's understandable. You drive from so far." So then I went and asked my boss, who was out of maternity leave, and we met for lunch because um, she was towards the end of her maternity leave. And I asked her, and she said, well, I need to think about it and ask the people in the department. And when she asked them, they gave her a different answer, which was, well, they would want to work at home too. Mm-hmm. They would be resentful. So she, bottom line is she said no. So that's when I gave my notice. And then suddenly I could have anything I wanted. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how much power I had. Suddenly my promotion was going through that I've been kind of sitting in HR for a while. Suddenly I'm having dinner in the private dining room with the vice president of sales who's saying you can work home five days a week we'll buy you a computer we'll buy you a book and everything you want <laughs> so it, you know they, they they want they said they'd hold my job for nine months mm-hmm. they said you know go to the other you know job and see how you like it and we'll hold your job so it was a good lesson in you know wherever you are do the best you can and do a good job mm-hmm. you know never burn any bridges in other words 
um, so I, you know, I don't think I had that, oh, I made a mistake feeling because I knew I could go back. Mm-hmm. It's just that it would feel like going back. Mm-hmm. And I, I was still, you know, I had this new epiphany, which is that I needed a new life, not a different job or my old job. I wanted to work at home again and I wanted to work for myself. And so before you left the the Fortune 200 company, when they were willing to give you everything, right? You can work from home, we'll buy you a computer. Why didn't you stay? You know, I looking back, it's like I don't I think it's because I thought the new company that the work was going to be more um, interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in financial services and estate planning, mm-hmm. supporting 32 regional vice presidents. And, you know, b- basically the, the the market was the affluent and helping people save money, you know, using life insurance and estate planning and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't have a lot of meaning for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't wake up feeling this warm feeling inside knowing I'd, you know, save affluent people money on their taxes mm-hmm. so um i think that was it that the, the new thing just seemed like something new and different and kind of exciting at the time so it sounds like there were you know even though that there were parts of the job that could have been great right there would have been the financial package the working from home it's still the work you were doing wasn't resonating with what really motivated you and drove you yeah yeah you know honestly if we, they had, you know, the, their their product, their service was something that was, you know, had this sense of satisfaction or meaning for me. Then, you know, looking back at that point, I probably, you know, w- would have done that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just fascinated with how you could have such a different mindset, right? As as we grow up, as you said, like most of society, our parents may influence and say, "Look, you know, you've got this really good job. You had a mom who, as an example." took a job as a second night shift as a, in the custodial department for a pension. And here you were kind of getting what you wanted, but you were like, no, I can go and I want, I want to go create something else. Or I want, I think this could be actually better. Mm-hmm. I'm just fascinated with your mindset for that. Yeah. I don't know what that was about. I think I was just too young to <laughs> know any better. I mean, honestly, because what I didn't know was I left about, if I stayed like three months longer, I would have gotten, to this day, I'd be getting, a, I, I am going to get a little bit of a pension from that job, uh-huh. but if I had stayed like three months longer, it would have been significantly more, and I had no idea. Because mm-hmm. I was in my 30s. I didn't even, I wasn't thinking about retirement. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking into things like that. I mean, looking back, I could kick myself, but, so I think I just didn't know any better. I'm a, you know, I don't know. And, and I've always, you know, I, I've been self-employed, so it just didn't feel like that huge risk to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's great insight for listeners, you know, if they are thinking about leaving a structure that there are potential benefits that could be long lasting in 10, 20, 30 years to look at that as they make their exit plan, right? Get an understanding of if it, what would be the cost if they maybe had to stay for three more months or six months or another year where there'd be maybe a potential long-term benefit and to weigh that it's not an absolute, just like for you, even though the, the package that you were offered before you left would have been ideal probably a year before. It wasn't the the deciding factor. There were that was a part of so many components that you were looking at. It sounds like right, right. And there's little things to look at, like my um, now assistant who actually used to work for that second company, which is how I <laughs> met her. Um, you know, when I talked her into leaving and coming to work for me, in retrospect, what she realized 
too late was that because they were getting ready to buy a house, she should have waited to buy the house while she still had a job job mm-hmm. because she, because she was self-employed for such a little amount of time, mm-hmm. they didn't get a very good interest rate. Mm-hmm. And it was really based on that. So, you know, as she, as she said, had she known that, she would have stayed like another six longer, six longer until they got the house and then she would have left. So, yeah, there's some certain things, you know, do your homework mm-hmm. and just take a look at, you know, what are the implications, what are the consequences. You know, sometimes people, they, they have to say because their kids are in college. But, mm-hmm. you know, if that's the case, then be proactive and go, okay, that's that's for four years. So what can I put in place and start building on the side now so that I'm not starting from scratch mm-hmm. in four years? And I love that, too, because instead of being like a victim or saying or feeling less and empo- less powerful, right, of, oh, I can't leave because my kids are in college. It's like, well, what can I do knowing that a priority is to have this this consistent flow of income, right, while I have kids in college? What can I do? So and that's a way, I think, to turn from being disempowered to empowered, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, there's a football player named Carl Banks, and I know he played for I don't know, New Jersey or New York, one of the big football teams. Uh, but I saw him speak at an event I was at, and he knew as a as an athlete that his days were limited. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be making that kind of money his whole life. So he started a business while he was still a player. It was um, it had to do with ribs and barbecue sauce and stuff. And so basically, he'd be playing on a Sunday, but on Saturday. He'd show up at uh, Costco, and they'd have a big tent outside, and he'd be out there grilling stuff with his, you know, famous barbecue sauce. And he started that intentionally while he still was in the major league, so that he was really ready to launch when when his career was over. So I he had a, that was just so smart. He had a side hustle. Yeah, he had a, yeah he had a plan B. Uh huh. And so when you were, okay, let's go back to your, so you're at the small company and you realize it's not a good fit. Then what? And you're, you, there's, you realize it's not a good fit. And then how do you, how do you get down to what it is that you want to do? Well, then I read everything I could get my hands on that would help me figure it out. So I'm a big Barbara Sher fan. So I read uh, her book, Wishcraft, which was out at the time, um, you know, which has a lot of exercises in it to kind of help you figure out what you you know, what you love to do and what are your gifts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd already read Barbara Winter's book, Making a Living Without a Job. You know, I'm, I'm sure I looked at What Color Your Parachute, all those kinds of books. And that became my second job. Mm-hmm. I was determined I, at night, on the weekends, you know, of trying to figure it out. And what happened was in the process of reading all those books, I realized that was what I loved was this whole, you know, outside the job box career stuff and figuring out how can you work at what you love. Mm-hmm. And then it was a matter of going, okay, well, how, what could I do in that arena? And then I read an article in um, it was Parade Magazine, and there was a couple who had a newsletter out at the time called the Tightwad Gazette. I remember them, yes. Yeah, and they ended up being in Parade, and then they got millions of subscribers. They were like, they were mm-hmm. like multi-millionaires, so they didn't need to rinse out their dental floss anymore to save money. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they actually closed down the publication, which I thought was really dumb. They could have just sold it to somebody because they felt you know, disingenuous being millionaires and putting out this advice. But anyway, but I went, oh, wow, so I'll do a newsletter, and I'll get millions of subscribers. So that's what I did. I started, started the Changing Course newsletter. And how did that work out for you? Uh, well, I, I got into um, USA Weekend magazine, mm-hmm. but it was more, um, 
you know, they weren't doing an article on my topic at the time, but they said we're doing an article on going from a two-income family to a one-income family, and we need like a sidebar with tips. Can you do that? Mm-hmm. And I said yes. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it, but I figured, you know, how hard could it be? I'll figure it out. Um, so, you know, I got subscribers, but I never got at that time, you know, I never got the numbers of subscribers that I, that it didn't happen for me the way it happened for them. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. But in the meantime, I, um, you know, I didn't just quit my job. I couldn't afford to just quit my job and most people can't. So I had to come up with like a transition strategy. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I appreciate that honesty about that because I think so often the message is, Oh, go follow your passion and the money will come. Right. And, and it sounds like in your journey, there were steps and pivotal moments, but at the same time, there was still, you know, you were still really practical and it was, okay, here's a job that may not be a good fit, right. Being in the smaller organization, but I'm at night. My second job is to try to figure out what it is that I want to do. Right. Absolutely. And then I went to my boss and I very strategically tried to bond with him because his father was sick. And so, you know, talking about older parents and my mom and the effect that it had on me and then basically asked if I could um, transition from being an employee to heading up their training and development area. They needed they were getting rid of the people who used to deliver these workshops. It was a training company, and I knew how to create workshops, so I, I wanted to replace them and be you know, a contract employee. And he, he thought it was a great idea, but he wanted me to um, – he thought I should keep my job, stay an employee, but I could still work at home because he said if you change your mind as a contractor, it's going to be a lot harder to hire you back. Mm-hmm. So I stayed on, which is smart. So I mm-hmm. stayed on as an employee, but I got to work at home. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for about a year, and that was good. And I, you know, I, I did a good job. Usually, you work harder when you work from home because you really, you know, you need to prove that you're working and all mm-hmm. that. But it also allowed me to, you know, make a phone call or do a few things here and there related to my newsletter. But then after a while, I had to, I had to make a break because I couldn't very well be in the newspaper or a magazine as, you know, helping people figure out how to make, you know, make a living without a job or having this business while I, while I still had a job. I didn't want them to see it, in other words. Mm-hmm. So then I switched to, you know, straight out being a contract worker for them. Mm-hmm. So again, again, the lesson for everybody is don't burn your bridges. It, it, for some people, your current employer can be your biggest first client. That is an important concept for people to understand. Yeah, is there a way that you can do what you do? And not everyone can, I understand that. But for many people, they really can figure out a way to do what they do for their current organization, but on a contractor basis. It, it's Usually it's helpful for the employer because then they're not pay, paying you benefits. Mm-hmm. They're getting the same amount of work. And I want to go back to when you said you strategically got close to your boss. Can you say more about that? Well, just in the sense that I, I opened the conversation, I, I just I distinctly remember the day. I was very nervous about it, um, going into had that conversation about wanting to do, you know, wanting to leave my job as a head of marketing and be a contract employee. Because, you know, once you kind of show your hand, it can go either way. Mm-hmm. So I remember being very strategic in trying to first bond with him in that conversation and just talking about, you know, uh, 
your life and your parents getting older and figuring out what you really want and, you know, that kind of a conversation as a segue into, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been thinking. And also, you know, this is actually kind of coming back to me as we're talking, but I had also put together another plan B in case there was a problem with my request in that I went back to my previous employer and I said, you know, I might be available for some work. So they were already lining up contract work for me. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you, 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 you had some safety nets out there as you made these transitions. Right. And, you know, and I, when I, what I love because about with, with that strategy of connecting with your boss was what it sounds to me is that you talked in a language or you told a story that he, so that he could under, come from a place of understanding where, why you were taking that next step. Like you talked mm-hmm. in his language Right. So that then you could say, and this is why this is important to me. Yeah, it was, it was finding common ground. Finding common ground. Ooh, I like that. Instead of just going in and saying, this is what I want for me. Right. right. Mm-hmm. That's a great strategy. And so um, let's, talk, let's talk about the next part is, you know, as we, we talk about, you know, making this leap, going from, you know, being an employee to being an entrepreneur, there's just like you mentioned with your employee of when she came to work for you and how that, that changed her interest rate for her home. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the big things is health insurance, right? Right. In other countries, if you're an entrepreneur, you have, there's countries that have socialized medicine. So it's not an issue. You don't have to have a job with a corporation to have health insurance, to have affordable health insurance. So how did you transition into that with the whole health insurance nightmare that we have going on in the States? Uh, yeah, you know, I do believe, and regardless of people's, you know, politics or how they care about, the, you know, feel about the Affordable Care Act, re- really, I think that it will transform the uh, economy in the sense that more people will realize, um, you know, they don't have to stay with their job if if they have something uh, pre-existing condition. That's huge to know that you have that freedom to do something else. For me, it was um, well. First of all, you can get Cobra for the first eighteen months. Mm-hmm. So I just figured, okay, I can, I have time to figure this out, and I was still paying, but not, you know, not terribly much, and I knew I could be on that plan for 18 months, and then I became self-insured through um, Blue Cross, mm-hmm. and of course, as I've gotten older, that amount has increased, um, so it's not inexpensive, but the thing that most people don't realize is that when you are self-employed, a hundred percent of the premiums are tax deductible. Mm-hmm. You can also set up something called a health savings account, HSA, through a major bank like Bank of America or TD Bank here in the in in the eastern part of the country. Um, and basically, what it is is a checking account. So if you have a a large um, deductible, thousand dollar, two thousand dollar deductible. You can write, you know, checks um, pre-tax using pre-tax money. So mm-hmm. when you work in the job world, many people have these kind of cafeteria plans where you can set aside money, tax deferred to pay for health care or child care and things like that. Mm-hmm. The corporate world, you have to really gauge how much you're going to set aside, and you have to decide up front. And if you don't use it all, you lose mm-hmm. it. Use mm-hmm. it or lose it. I always wonder, like, where does that go? that's a got my money who gets my money that's an excellent question uh, yeah i mean somebody told me once and i can't remember the answer but but when you're self-employed you don't 
lose it, it rolls over into an IRA. Mm-hmm. I think the maximum you can put in, and people should check because I'm not a financial planner, but it was, I think, $2,000 at one point. And my, my uh, accountant told me a lot of people don't even use it for their health insurance. They just use it as another uh, retirement vehicle. And also, I set up basically a solo 401k mm-hmm. for myself. So I can put in the maximum, whatever that is, based on my income that year. And then my company, which is me, can match it. So it's still coming out of my pocket, but it does allow me to put in you know, twice as much tax deferred into retirement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with talking with you, Valerie, I mean, one of the things that keeps coming into my mind is that you have this tremendous growth mindset. And, um, and then that's from Carol Dweck, the Stanford professor who I've had yep. on and where, you know, you, you look at things as, as opportunities and you, you, you have this really resourceful mind. So instead of seeing things as limitations or prison walls, right, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, let's figure this out right? How can we make this work? Which I think are great things instead of, oh, I'm doom and gloom because if I don't have, it's more of a scarcity mindset. If I don't have this job, right. I'm not going to have health benefits, mm-hmm. which is, is driven by a lot of fear. Right. Have you always, I, oh, go ahead. You know, I always have had that. Um, and I don't, I, I, I wish I could tell you where it came from because I really don't know. And I am very familiar with Carol Dweck's um, work. You know, mm-hmm. I, just, I think it's, I think it's brilliant, but I think it's more, you know, it's an entrepreneurial mindset as Ooh. well. And so often people, they, they come to some dead end or some obstacle or some barrier and they just stop. They just give up. Oh, I guess I can't because of this. Mm-hmm. And, and I always think of it like if you were on a road and you're driving along and there was a tree that fell in front of you, you wouldn't just turn off the car and die. <laughs> You know, you would like figure out, well, how do I get around this or how do I find another way? But for some reason, we don't do that around work kinds of stuff in many aspects of our life. And people make these assumptions. Well, if I do that, then I can't do whatever. Or then I have to X, Y, Z. And I always say, well, who says you have to do, you know, why can't you do both? I mean, I just like to like create other options or other alternatives. Mm-hmm. and think creatively. I just think of them as, as workarounds. Well, how do we work around that? Mm-hmm. It, you know, um, I, one of the stories that came to my mind, my husband coaches at, at the a university, and he also teaches fitness classes, and he taught, it was teaching a learn-to-swim class one day, and it was later in the quarter, and um, all of a sudden one of the students said, coach, coach, you know, uh, Pete, somebody's gone down to the bottom of the pool and one of his students was kicking and this is, this is, she was, well, she was fine to be in this area and she kind of, uh, she fell off of her kickboard and she just sank and he had to go in and get her and pull her out. And then later on he went to the hospital to check on her and he said, you know, so what happened? And she said, you know, I've kind of choked on some water and I fell off and I just started to sink. And at first I tried to fight and then I was like, Oh, that's okay. <laughs> and, oh wow! Yeah, and he's always been dumbfounded. Like, but why would you give up? I mean, she, she's an undergrad. So, you know, anywhere between 18 and 22, somewhere around there. Right. But there is, there are people that have that. Oh, right. Instead of the resource of, Hey, and thank goodness, you know, she had a class full of people that helped, noticed that she was sinking and my husband jumped in and pulled her out and you know there was ambulance and all the support around her but it's it's fascinating with people's mindsets about oh well and maybe there are people that will I don't think any of my listeners are those people who you know would acquiesce to 
falling off a kickboard or, you know, having a tree fall down on them and they would stop. So, but there are people like that, which is really interesting. Um, but I love your resourcefulness and I love how, you know, looking at, you, you just don't have these prison walls that limit you, right? Whether in terms of what tools are there out there, what vehicles like with the health savings plans and how that can not only be a health option, but it also can be a retirement option. So like really, it sounds like it's important to really know what's available to you on a legal standpoint. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Barbara, interestingly enough, Barbara Winter, who, who wrote the book, Making a Living Without a Job, is now a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. You know, fast forward, and she and I and Barbara Sher did a, a four-day retreat out in the mountains in Boulder, Colorado, together called Making Dreams Happen. So it's just amazing how, you know, your life kind of um, comes around. But Barbara always says, the American tax system is set up to benefit the very wealthy and the self-employed. Oh. And that's the other thing that most people don't think about is all the tax deductions, you know, for your home office or books or magazine subscriptions or training classes. Um, You know, I spend a tremendous amount of money every year on, you know, whether it's coaches or mentors or uh, training and marketing opportunities that help me to, you know, elevate my business and up up my game. Mm -hmm. And it's all, you know, I mean, they're expensive. Expenses, but it's really an investment. So I think of that money very differently as well, because I look at it as an investment that I know is also going to come off my taxes at the end of the year. So it's a kind of a win, kind of a win-win. Well, and especially if it's stuff that you love, right? Yep. And yep. And- I, yep. And just I just want to add one more thing, and on a hugely practical note, is that from the IRS's point of view, you don't have to make a profit for three years. And you can still do deductions. So you can be in that ramp-up phase. A lot of people think if they have a job job and they have a little business on the side that they somehow they, they don't realize they can do the deductions, even if they're not making money yet. All you have to establish is that you are making a good-faith effort to make a profit. So by getting business cards or setting up your website or all the steps you would take to, to be profitable, that demonstrates that, yes, you're trying that's that's an important thing to know. I mean, we're not encouraging people to go into debt, but understanding that it really takes a lot of businesses about three years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I don't think you have to go into debt. I think, you know, most, the majority of businesses in this country bootstrap it. Mm-hmm. You know, they pay as they go along. So make a little bit of money and then reinvest that in your business. Make a little bit of money, reinvest it in your business. I love that. Um, so how do you have, with the ebb and flow of, of, you know, being an entrepreneur, how do you handle that with the ebb and flow and having faith that there will be money to come? Well, you know, I would be an absolute liar if I said there, you know, there haven't been challenging times. Mm-hmm. When I started out for a number of years, I was still did, you know, freelance work for my former employer mm-hmm. while I you know, had my changing course business and my imposter syndrome business. So it took quite a while before I was really able to let go of that. Uh, I love what Suzanne Evans says. She says, don't think of your job as your job, but think of it as your business loan. So even though you may still have to keep a job while you're creating something, and also I think it makes it more tolerable. It's like, because you're, you're, you're telling yourself, I'm here now, this is serving a purpose, it's bringing in income so I can pay my rent or my mortgage while I'm building the other the other business. But there's certainly been, you know, um, 
ups and downs in, in, in terms of my, my income. Absolutely. And so there's, there's been like ridiculously exciting times when I've made more in a day than most people make in a year. Mm-hmm. You know, that, so those are like these ridiculous times where I went out to dinner with friends and celebrated. Um, and then there's been, you know, times when it's like, oh dear, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the economy was, was tough. And I know a lot of Particularly male, hugely successful male entrepreneurs I know who would say, "Oh, you know, they really poo-pooed the, that the economy, you know, affected their business." And then privately, they'd say, "You know, they were affected, as as all of us were." So, I think you just have to be, um, you know, resourceful again. You have to then, you know, kind of downsize. Um, you know, figure out how can you adjust your prices, given that everybody's in a financial pickle right now you know, it becomes another exercise in creative thinking. And also multiple profit centers, which is what I learned from Barbara Winter. And and that's a big thing because most of us get hung up on trying to find the big idea mm-hmm. that's going to replace your current income. Mm-hmm. When it's actually a lot easier to, let's just, I'm just going to throw out the number of $75,000 a year. So let's say you want to make $75,000 a year. It's a lot easier to have three profit centers that each bring in 25000 than that one big, big idea. Because you can get those smaller ones going. It's like spinning plates. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and don't you think it's also easier because with, so it may be dumbfounding to go, how do I make 75000 versus, oh, I 25000 That just seems like a more reachable goal for some people, right? Making yeah, it a smaller chunk. Absolutely. And, Especially when you get out your calculator and you, you chunk it down. You go, okay, well, how much would that be a month, a week, mm-hmm. a day? And then go, oh, I could maybe I could sell some stuff on eBay or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And then once you make that 25, then you're like, oh, well, I, I can do that because you have the evidence, right? So then it's like, right. well, what other ways can I make that 25? And you already have that. And it's just easier to duplicate. I mean, that's the kind of the idea of a franchise model or any business kind of structure is, is but having that beliefs in you that you can do it versus looking at that big number and going, how do, how do I, how do I go from, I think going from zero to the first thousand that you make as an entrepreneur is the hardest thousand to make. That's my opinion, personal experience. But then, you know, and then going from a thousand to 10, that's harder, but then going from 10 to 30 is not as hard. And then to continue up 30 to 60 and so on and so forth, it's not as hard because, but that first thousand I think is the hardest to make personally. Yeah. And when you do, you know, then, then you've proven to yourself, I can do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had clients who have told me that they minimally had to make $400,000 just to meet their current financial obligations. Wow. And then I've had other clients who said they need to make 40. And, and here's the thing, regardless of the number, it really is the same amount of steps mm-hmm. to make 400000 and 40000 It really is. It's just that at the $40,000 level, you know you have to come up with one or more ideas on a kind of a bigger scale or you have to go up, you have to go after an affluent market with your product or service is that, that that's at the 400,000 yeah the more money mm-hmm. you make you know you have then you have to think on bigger on a bigger level or bigger mm-hmm. terms mm-hmm. so um, you know I, I knew somebody who wanted to do astrological charts for example mm-hmm. and she wanted to make six figures and I said well that's fine but you have to be willing to take the steps required to become the the astrological chart, you know, the astrologer to the stars, basically. Mm-hmm. 
the astrologers to, you know, little old ladies with huge amounts of money in Palm Springs who will pay you lots of money because you've made yourself a little bit of a kind of a celebrity and, you know, you kind of elevated your brand and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's to know where the market is that can support that type of business. Right. Absolutely. Right. Um, so yeah, I like that multiple profit centers and, and, and the bootstrapping piece is really important because it doesn't, you know, if you do go into self-employment and there, the entry point is so low, especially in certain fields that, you know, not having to working out of your home can save a great deal of money for people because you don't have to have an office front to have to pay for, um, which then it sounds like for you, it gives you the freedom to invest that money into trainings, into support, into other areas for your business to help bring your business to another level. Oh, absolutely. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have an office if, you know, it's, to me, it's not even about the money. Uh-huh. Yes, I save money being at, at home, but I don't, I don't have the money put into commuting and all that stuff. But this is actually a conversation that came up recently. For me, it is more about the lifestyle than it is about the work. And I know that that's counterintuitive because I talk about working at what you love, which is the frosting on the cake. But if, if, if I had to choose between working at home, working for myself, and doing something that was just, it was like, okay, but it mm-hmm. paid the bills. Mm-hmm. I would take that any day over having to commute somewhere and go into a city and go into a high rise and do the thing I absolutely loved, but I hated the life around it. Mm-hmm. I would pick the working from home. And to me, it's about the life. Mm-hmm. And that's not true for everyone. For other people be like, well, you know, I really dislike, life sucks around this work, but I love the work so much that I tolerate it. Mm-hmm. That's why I think we all have to decide what's most important to us. Thank you so much, Valerie, for bringing up that point, because that, that's the message that I want for my listeners, right, is about creating the life that you want. And there are some people, I mean, I know a lot, I live in a university town, right? So I know a lot of kids who grew up here, they really want to go to San Francisco and work that big city life. And it's fun for them, right, for that point in their life. And, and there's other people that really like to stay in this in this college town that we have and live in this community and build a life here. So it's about what fits for you. Maybe entrepreneurship is your thing. Maybe it's not. But what is the life? What is the work that you want to do? Not that there's one way that's the, the ultimate way. And it sounds like that's what you're also saying. Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I call it the, the life first, work second approach to career planning. <laughs> because growing up, Everybody says, what do you want to be when you grow up? But nobody ever says, what do you want your life to look like? No. And, and I think if they had, nobody would say, well, you know, I, I think I'd like some commuter traffic and maybe a cubicle and some fluorescent lights, <laughs> you know, and performance reviews. No one would sign up for that. So I think instead of asking, what do we want to be when we grow up? We need to focus more on how do we want to feel mm-hmm. and design the life first, figure out that part then come up with ways that you can make money, job or entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially, that's going to allow you to have as much of that life as possible. So to me, it's about making sure your career options fit the life test as kind of a filter on the front end. And, and we're still talking in pragmatic terms, right? Because it's like, if you need to go and work at X, even if it's work at Starbucks to create this life for right now, as you're getting started, then you go and do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I had this little scrap of paper I found in a book recently, and it was someone who'd written me. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can picture her name, but I can't 
it's not coming into my brain. Anyway, she she wrote, um, you know, like I'm fifty five, I'm fifty one, I'm I'm quitting my job and moving to this other city, and I'm going to to study to be a massage therapist. Do you think I'm crazy, mm-hmm. Stephanie? Anyway, um, and I wrote back and I said, I think you'd be crazy not to. If this is what you want to do, you'd be crazy not to. So she went to this Bend, Oregon. She got a job at Starbucks because they paid benefits mm-hmm. while she was going to school. And she moved in and got like a roommate and, you know, pared down her life. And years later, she found her name on my website because I published an article about her. And she looked me up and she now had had all these massage centers and all these people who who she hired and she had created this whole, you know, enterprise that was more than just having her little business. She taught massage. And so she'd really done it, but it it all came down to, you know, sacrificing and making that decision. And that just gives me the chills with that story. So thank you for that. Um, You know, there, there, I think sometimes people think that, you know, the, the rules of life in America has been you go to school, you go to college, then you come out and you keep working your way. And it's just you climb this ladder, right? The corporate ladder. And it's kind of a one way up. And and what she did was she went one way and then she took a dip or took a turn because she wanted to go do something else. And she went into something that most people would say, well, massage therapist. Well, you can, you know, can you really make a good living at that? And she's created this business that is helping a lot of other people with, I'm sure, getting their services. Yeah, and then she gets to hire other people and teach other people, mm-hmm. and it really, you know, it's a gift that kept on giving. <laughs> but, you know, but it all started with that, you know, am I crazy to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people, think about what you want your obituary to read or, your, you know, your, your tombstone. You know, she could have been a great novelist, but she was too afraid to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, she, she should have, could have, you know, been a fabulous cupcake baker. <laughs> but, you know, she was miserable her whole life, but at least she had a good dental plan. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's, it's about regrets. You know, you, know, we're, we're, you know, you don't get out of this life without having some regrets. But how can you have fewer regrets? Yes. The thought that came to me is, well, she stayed in this job that had really good health benefits, but then hurt herself and she wound up dying because of, you know, whether it was numbing herself with food, drugs or alcohol. Right. right, right. So you stay in the job because, oh, it's got this really good plan that's going to keep me safe. But for me to stay in this place that has this benefit, this perk, I'm going to kill myself. Right, exactly. You know, people kind of underestimate stress, and stress kills people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes your best, uh, you know, health health policy is to get rid of that stress. And the happier you are, the, you know, generally speaking, the healthier you are. So, Valerie, when you have those days, you know, you talked about when you had, you know, the day where you made more money that day than most people make in a year, it, Sometimes people, don't you find people get tripped up and they think, wow, I made this amount of money, so that's going to continue on, right? Because remember, we have that corporate ladder kind of in our head. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's what we see a lot of the downfalls, of, especially, you know, in the news and the media is like professional athletes, right? Because they, they don't realize that those big paychecks are going to stop at some point. So mm-hmm. how as an entrepreneur, how did you not get stuck or get caught up in, well, I made this great money, I'm going to go celebrate. But tomorrow, the paycheck that comes in may be much smaller and be okay with that. Huh, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's anything I'm, you know, kind of 
have any <laughs> any real plan for how I'm going to handle it. I just kind of take it as it comes. And, mm-hmm. and for me, it's always just assuming things are going to work out the way they're going to work out, like one mm-hmm. way or another. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe starting another profit center, for mm-hmm. example. So one of the things I did was, you know, when the recession hit was I became another profit center is I bought a house that the people had walked away from, the pipes had burst, you know, the bank took it over and, and I got it on a short sale. So I bought a five bedroom, three bathroom house for $103,000 and did tons of fixing up. And now I rent that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if things aren't working in one area, how can you create some money in another area? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I just think as a society, and this is true for other societies, in addition to the U.S., it's like we've lost the ability to figure out how to create money. <laughs> we have, and we sit around instead and, and this kind of passively waiting for Mr. Job, uh-huh. like someone to give us a job. And so every month uh, they we're all waiting for the jobs reports. When the job report is going to come out? And I think, well, where's the business startup report? You know, they mm-hmm. never say this is how many jobs were created and this is how many businesses were created. Mm-hmm. which I think if it did, it would plant some seeds. Or every June, the local TV shows are going to focus on the high school kids going out to try to get jobs. Mm-hmm. They go to the mall, and they go to the fast food restaurants, they put in an application, they can't get jobs. And I sit there just pulling my hair out and thinking, make a job. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, wash some cars, mow some lawns, wash some windows. I mean, Sell stuff on eBay. And here's the thing for anybody, there's no excuse anymore. I mean, you talked about, you know, nowadays we can work at home because of technology and save money, but also we don't have to take out a full page ad mm-hmm. in a newspaper anymore. We can reach people all over the world mm-hmm. to sell our stuff because of the internet. Mm-hmm. It is just total, a total game changer. A market is right there. Absolutely. And I love how, you know, thank you for giving that concrete example to the listeners about, okay, the the economy changes, right? And so instead of looking within your business saying, how can I create another profit center? You looked at, wow, here's an opportunity. Here's a five bedroom house that I can buy, fix up and rent out and create another income stream, right? So I think that's also breaking that prison wall of how it's supposed to look as far as income coming into you. Absolutely. You know, Warren Buffett says, be afraid when everyone else is excited and be excited when everyone else is afraid. (laughs) You know, because everyone was so excited about the housing, you know, the prices going up, so we're all taking home equity loans and, you know, over mortgaging our house and buying stuff, you know. Um, and I'm kicking myself because when the when the stock market crashed and like you know IBM was like at 95 cents and all these stocks were available, I wanted to buy a bunch of stock. It's like wow, these are really low, and I let myself be influenced by the fear and the more risk aversion of this financial planner. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I did a little bit. I bought you know some some stuff, but I, but I'm kicking myself. Mm-hmm. For not just totally trusting my gut and going with Warren Buffett mm-hmm. <laughs> and just saying, I'm going for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you have a pretty agile mind, and that's been really helpful for you. You're very resourceful, you think outside the box, and you don't, you don't operate most of the time from fear. 
Well, I think it's because I don't live in reality. And, uh, <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> but, you, but I mean that in the best sense of the word, because you know, everyone says, oh, get real, right? Mm-hmm. In your dreams, that's not realistic. And I, I love what Will Smith said, which is being realistic is the most commonly traveled road to mediocrity. Ooh, that's a good one. And so I like to dwell in the world of possibility, not in the so-called real world. Uh-huh. Well, that's why you're here, because this is a place where inspiration and possibility meet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, before we end up today, do you have a couple of takeaways for the listeners about, you know, for those who are wanting to make a living um, without and wanting to make a living with doing what they love? What are some takeaways? Or maybe they already are, but they need to go to that next level. You know, I just think to continue to connect the dots between what you love to do and how you can make money doing it. Um, a, a, a suggestion is that most people think in a too limiting way. We think about the most obvious customer or client. Mm-hmm. And if you think beyond that to the next level out of who else wants what I have, then you'll make more money. So a very, very quick example, there was a guy... I know years ago, who wrote a book for college students on career success, and he ended up partnering with Visa credit card services, and they sponsored his whole tour to go around to colleges and speak. Mm-hmm. And so by partnering with a bigger entity or someone else or going after a different market on that next level out, like I teach people how to be outside the job box career coaches. Mm-hmm. So I'm teaching them to do what I do. Mm-hmm. So it's not just my my most obvious customer, but also who wants to be me. Mm-hmm. So try to think more creatively about who else you can partner with, even in your own community. That is great. Thank you so much, Valerie. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us at How She Really Does It. Each week, I try to bring inspiration, empowerment, and entertainment for you. Each show has a takeaway something you can implement to take those steps forward in your own journey. I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me at my website at www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter to get insider information as well as each podcast delivered directly into your inbox. Have a great day and I'm smiling big for you. Early morning, fog is lifting. She's in a